welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Brian. I'm Lindsay. I'm Jay. And we're here to talk about Dirty Dancing, starring Jennifer Grey, Patrick Swayze, Cynthia Rhodes, Jane Bruckner, Lonnie Price, Max Cantor, Jack Weston, and Jerry Orbach, directed by Emile Ardolino. Released in 1987 on a budget of $6 million, it grossed $214.6 million at the box office. It won Best Original Song at the Oscars for I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes. All right, so here we are talking Dirty Dancing, and um, gosh, my earliest memory, I go back to probably right when it came out, I just remember all of the hoopla about the the dances that were in this movie and all of the the backlash from uh, different conservative groups and things like that that really didn't like the fact that they were kind of humping each other on TV. There was a big, <laughs> big hoopla about that. It was on the news. I think 60 yeah. Minutes did a thing on it. And um, I don't think I was able to watch it, of course, because I was nine years old when this came out. So there was no chance I was watching it then. I do remember the the hype about it. And I think I probably watched it when I was 12, finally. So that's my background. What's your background, Jay? I can only tell you this mind-blowing story in as serious a tone as I can muster because my super conservative Christian household that we grew up in, <laughs> my mother and her girlfriends went and saw this at the theaters, all right, and just raved about it and, and didn't get, like, she said, I understand why everybody's so upset about it or whatever because they are kind of humping on stage, but it's a really sweet story and yada, yada. And I'm sitting there going like, really? Because I, I was like 11 and the playground talk had been what it was really about and what the, you know, the, the underlying story was and all this stuff. And it was, ooh, scandal. And I just remember thinking like, that's okay. Okay, really? So I, we, we had it on VHS, like when it came out and they rented it and we watched it and, I don't. I don't know a part of my life where I haven't known this movie since it came out. Like I, I just think I've seen it through the years, and then I don't know. It was on television a few times, and I would catch it here and there, and then I just kind of forgot about it. I think the thing I remembered most about it was the soundtrack, yeah. and. Uh, I think I owned the tape of it or something like that. And, you know, everybody knew the songs. And I think I was always amazed by this movie that was set in the 60s that had all this freaking 80s music in it and just passed it off like that was okay. You know, but whatever. But I remember that. And then when I met my wife many years later, I she didn't have very many movies in her collection because that's not really her thing. But she had this one. And I was like, really? This one? You know, And she was like, oh, yeah, I just, I just think it's cute. And I was like, well, okay, <laughs> indeed. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's my background with Dirty Dancing. I've always known this movie. All right. How about you, Lindsay? Oh, man. So I actually grew up not terribly far from Mountain Lake where this movie is filmed. And when my aunts came to visit, most of them lived in New England. One of the big things that my mom always did was take them to Mountain Lake. And I never went because the drive was still probably an hour and a half, two hours to get there. And I was a kid and didn't want to sit in the car for two hours. But I could never figure out. I was just like, what is so special about this stupid lake? I don't understand. Because <laughs> I'd never seen the movie. 
And then, um, and then when I got a little older, I saw it and I was like, this is great. And in college, I actually stayed at Mountain Lake for like a weekend training retreat thing or something. Um, and it's still really nice and it still looks very much the same. Uh, but the cabins are a little more updated. And I liked the movie so much that, and I got really into dancing, like swing dancing mostly and stuff like that. And went into Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, which also is good and not the movie we're talking about today. But that movie propelled me into learning how to salsa dance, which was a lot of fun too. But that movie itself was what like got me into like, oh, well, dancing seems kind of cool. Maybe I'll try that. And I am not a dancer or professional dancer or anything like that on any level for the record. I just really like to do it. <laughs> so, but it all started when I was a little kid and my parents were obsessed with going to Mountain Lake. I think that's for awesome. the record. I can't dance at all. No, <laughs> Put that out Mm-mm. there. I I was in the band on the stage. Like that was my thing. I could not do any of that. We talked about that on the November session show. That like I was obsessed with Greece, but probably because I could never do any of that. Yeah, I can dance as far as like kids who do musicals can fake dancing. Like that's about as good as I can dance. <laughs> I'm really good at faking knowing how to dance, but I don't actually know how to do it. Uh-huh. Well, I don't dance, so <laughs> all good. But uh, I think that's kind of cool that you have kind of that relationship to it where you know the place and you've been to the place and all that stuff. I think that's kind of a neat add-in here. But anyway, before we get into things, Jay, can you give us a plot summary for Dirty Dancing? Certainly, for the uninitiated. <clears throat> it's the summer of 1963, and Frances Baby Houseman is vacationing with her parents, Jake and Marge, and her sister Lisa at Kellerman's, an exclusive resort in the Catskills, though we do know it's in North Carolina and Virginia, actually. So Baby, whose plans for life don't exactly align with what her parents want her to do, gets bored one night and in exploring comes across a dance party with the hotel's entertainment staff. There she meets Johnny, the lead dance instructor, who's inst- and she's instantly attracted to him, though he doesn't really pay her the time of day. And when Baby learns that Johnny's dance partner, Penny, is pregnant by Robbie, a waiter who's an all-around jerk and also hitting on her sister, Baby borrows money from her father, who is a doctor, for an abortion for Penny, though her father doesn't know why she wants the money. As Penny is set to undergo the procedure, Baby works with Johnny to fill in for Penny at another performance so that they can keep up their gig. During those rehearsals, she and Johnny grow closer and closer, and Penny's procedure goes horribly awry, and the results and complications, Baby enlists her father to help. While he provides medical assistance, he forbids Baby to have any association with her newfound friends again. Of course, she immediately disobeys this and launches into a passionate affair with Johnny, and her secret romance finally comes to light when Johnny is accused of theft, but she covers for him, confirming that she was with him all night and giving him a solid alibi. Reeling with shock and disappointment, Baby and her father finally confront each other, and while he doesn't really have much to say, she tells him while she's not proud of what she did, she isn't sorry for it either, and they you know, part carefully. Johnny's cleared of his theft investigation, but fired anyway, and Baby and Johnny say goodbye, saying they were happy to have known each other no matter how it had to end. And so finally, the season talent show ends, and Baby sits quietly in the corner, and her father goes up to congratulate Robbie, who's getting ready to go to medical school and wish him well, only to find out that he actually was responsible for Penny and is an all-around sleaze, something we've known the entire movie. And as the final number plays, Johnny returns, walks over to the houseman's and pronounces, nobody puts baby in a corner. And baby and Johnny lead a massive dance around the ballroom to the tune of I've had the 
time of my life and seeing how happy his daughter is, Jake Hausman admits Johnny, admits to Johnny that he was wrong about him, shakes his hand, and our two star-crossed lovers dance the night away as credits roll. All right, so there we go. That's a pretty good, I'd say, summary of Dirty Dancing. Uh, the movie itself, uh, Patrick Swayze, I think, is this... Had he done Roadhouse before this, or no? No, that was after. Okay, so this, this is the movie yeah. that really put him on the map, is it not? Yeah, he had done, like, The Outsiders and Red Dawn, mm-hmm. and that's what I knew him from, but this is the thing that made him, like, a superstar and a sex symbol and all that and stuff. And a heartthrob. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think it was only People Magazine mm-hmm. and all that stuff after this, yeah. And Jennifer Grey, I knew from, like, Ferris Bueller yes. and stuff, you know? Yeah, but this was her big... But really, her only big thing that she ever did. Can you think of anything else that she was big in? Uh, she's done a lot of stuff, well, actually, but sure, it's but not, not never, that you remember. Never like, like this. Never as big. Never, never, never anything this massive again. I mean, if you go back in the archives, you can listen to Ron and I talk about um, her and, and her post-plastic surgery face and uh, one of those Tales from the Crypt movies we did. I think it's called Ritual or something like that. You can go back and look at that one. And um, that's has the kind of work she got <laughs> for years. I know her more recently from like having done Dancing with the Stars, which I don't watch, but I know she was on because it was just everywhere. Yeah, well, it, it, this was her big thing, and I think the sad news is that she kind of went the route of Tales from the Crypt, and he went <laughs> the route of Superstar all, all the way up until his, his unfortunate passing. But uh, this was really propelled Patrick Swayze into everyone's home, and, and everyone knew who Patrick Swayze was after this, and you get uh, all those movies after this ghost and, and everything else that he just is really known for but this is the one and um yeah you know it's an interesting movie and i haven't watched it probably in gosh i would say 15 years at least Uh, so it was really interesting watching it again and kind of looking at the time frames and and all the stuff going on in the background and and how it kind of worked and just kind of shaking my head at certain things it, it was real interesting especially uh the, the owner of the the resort gosh what a character that guy is uh, um <laughs> just hilarious and just your typical like you almost think he's part of the mafia the way he treats people and acts at that place like he's king shit and and uh, nothing goes past him uh, just hilarious and then of course the his son thinks he's above everyone else because of that fact uh, just interesting play on on this uh, with with the different characters, I I thought they did a real good job having all sorts of different characters in this movie. Yeah, I thought casting wise, like it's really well balanced, even for knowing what these people were in before and after and all that kind of stuff. You can kind of chart them. They did a pretty good job of just laying out a decent cast. And I mean, we didn't talk about her here, but I'll, I'll mention her now. I, I've been obsessed with Cynthia Rhodes for years because, again, I watched a lot of John Travolta movies and Staying Alive was something I had seen and, and didn't burn my eyes out. And yeah. she's the lead dance in that. And I mean, and you know, you would know her probably right. She was Richard Marx's wife for 25 years and stuff like that. But she's a really well accomplished dancer and singer and things like that. I just knew who she was at the time. And I always thought she had such a, an interesting character in this because it's really a thankless role. Like at this point in her career, she talks about how she really didn't want to do dance movies anymore. She had done flash dance and she had done staying alive and she had done this and that and the other. And she was kind of done with that. And this was kind of the last thing she did dance wise. And it, you know, it's, it's a kind of a neat role too. So I always remembered her from it though. I'm like you, it, it had been at least 10 years since I had, 
had seen it since you know you two brought it up on the sessions and that's what kind of got the ball rolling for us to throw it into our february schedule i don't know i mean i didn't recognize a whole lot of these people per se i'm not as versed obviously in movies as you are but um the the people that that i did recognize obviously the two main characters i recognized the father um he i think i've seen him in several things other than this but beyond that most of these people i don't recognize from other movies that i've watched so i can't i think people would know jerry orbach mostly from law and order probably it, yeah Audience. for but, sure i mean he had a whole like broadway career ahead of this irena and i talked about it on uh, the chicago show because he was in the original broadcast or broadway production of that so that would be somebody like the, they would know the, the funny thing for me is like jerry orbach is this you know broadway musical theater actor or whatever but in the 80s and 90s like he either played cops or hitmen like it was so weird i don't, I don't Lindsay. i don't if you shed any light on that but it's easy to get typecast into that well actually that's so interesting you gr- perfect segue for what i was about to mention <laughs> um uh, not specifically on him but just the casting in general is how like i also didn't recognize everyone in it i mean obviously the big names yes but the but every character in it was just slightly recognizable to the point where it's like, I've seen them in something else before. And I don't know if that's true. I think it's mostly just the casting director cast just perfectly for the typecasting. Like everyone fit that exact caricature of the person they were playing. And we've seen these different characters in a number of different movies and they fit a certain mold, and I think that they just did a great job casting for the look and the voice and how they interact with each other. And it and so for me, that led to, have I seen them in something before? Oh, no, it was this other guy. They just look exactly the same <laughs> and sound exactly the same. I think that's what happens on, on films that don't have a big budget. I mean, this thing got greenlit, got put in turnaround and messed around with studios before they finally got it together to put it together on that $6 million budget. And I mean, even in 1987, that's not a lot of money. No. I mean, that's about what you make like Halloween four or four or something like that. Like it, it's <laughs> so nobody Sharknado gets paid. 3. Yeah. Well, they probably spent less on Sharknado three, but, <laughs> but even in adjusted dollars, but they, they, I mean, Patrick Swayze famously talks about like he got paid $5 million to do a cameo in Havana nights, which he made $200,000 for this. So that tells you like how things had changed at that time, but everybody they got was a recognizable face or a recognizable type. I think that's what you hit on Lindsay. So people would be like, Oh yeah. And then they're all character actors like Jack Weston and Jerry Orbach and all these people are, people that just sort of disappear in the roles that they play. And then you've got Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze as your, you know, gorgeous leads and you kind of stick them out in front of everybody and, you know, you let them do what they do. And I mean, you know, they, they, they hit lightning in a bottle with the fact that they got Jennifer Grey, who is this really talented person, but incredibly insecure about her own talent. And like would tell you this, this is not, I'm not jogging on her. She'd tell you, she didn't know how to dance. She didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And Patrick Swayze, who was this Juilliard dancer and, you know, had been working for years in Hollywood trying to get a break. And now he's got to teach this, you know, his character has to teach this person how to dance. And then even he as the actor had to teach the other actor how to pull it off enough where they could fake it together, which I don't know. I've always thought that was kind of neat. And I mean, the, the stories are famous in Hollywood about 
you know, couples on screen that have such great chemistry. And then you hear all these stories about how they didn't really like each other. And I don't know that it was, they didn't like each other. She frustrated him because she would just start laughing all the time. And I think some of the cuts are even in the movie where she starts giggling while they're trying to dance. And he would just, the look on his face is like, can we please concentrate? Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? real. That is real frustration. Yeah. But I always thought that was fun though, that they left that in the movie because it's a good character thing, but it's also like you're watching the behind the scenes unfold in the film, which is, it's neat. It's, it's rare when you get a production that comes together like that, but it's, you hear the story over and over. So it's not the, you know, the first or the last time you'll hear about something like that, but I've always thought that was neat because that story had been out there even when the movie came out. Like they both would cop to like, yeah, we weren't really, you know, whatever, but sometimes, you know, contention, you builds good chemistry on screen. Oh, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about some of these characters, because I think that they play a crucial part in telling this story. Uh, let's start with, obviously, the Housemans. You've got uh, Baby, uh, and then you got the mother and father, and the sister. Now, is the sister older or younger? I don't know if that was established. Do we know? I think she's younger. Younger? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, see, I, I, I thought it was older. That older. Mm-hmm. I've always read that as older, but watching it this time, honestly, I was like, no, she's probably a year or so younger just because the way she acts but she looks so much older than uh, jennifer gray like i think that's why i got stumbled on it because she just looks like she's three years older than her yeah i i, I always thought she was older too and that uh, baby kind of took all the glory from her and that's why she was always trying so hard and desperately to get daddy's uh, attention with you know yeah. the the singing and everything else that she does but um I, yeah I, I couldn't figure that out either i I would have said she was older, and then Baby, obviously, is the darling of the family. Yeah, I just looked it up, and Baby is younger than than her sister. Okay, so that makes sense. And then, so basically, she's used to being the only child, and then Baby comes along and takes all the glory, and so she's got that tinge of jealousy in her where she's trying to get Daddy's affection, but Daddy, for some reason, shows it all to Baby, right? That's the dynamic, I think, of this family. And then the mom, who kind of just sits back and doesn't really do much. <laughs> I mean, she, she's, Until the very end. Well, exactly. The very end when she, yeah, when she tells him to sit out. Exactly. Which, like, she's the quiet person great. who is the obedient wife, right? And this is 1963. Mm-hmm. So right. uh, and, and she's playing her role as the mom who, who lets daddy take care of everything because daddy's the breadwinner. He's the doctor. He's all this other stuff. And, and so, yeah, it's a real interesting family dynamic, I think. And I, I, I can't help but chuckle with is it is Marge is the daughter right Marge? No, Mar- Marge is the mom. Yeah, Lisa. Yeah, okay. Marge yeah. is the mom. Right. Yeah. Uh, names never work with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's funny that you know Lisa's character in this movie is always trying to do something that baby hasn't done right. So she's dating Robbie the waiter, or I don't know if you can call it dating, but fooling around with Robbie the waiter. And They're hanging out. Yeah. And then she's going up to her like, I, I think I'm going to, you know, I think I'm going to have have sex with Robbie tonight and trying to get baby to be jealous, right? <laughs> she's going to go all the way. And a baby, to me, baby's is weird. Like, she knows Robbie's a sleaze, right? And she kind of goes to tell her, but then holds back every time well she she does it because she knows it'll out her because how would she know that right because at that point in the movie when they they have that well, conversation she's got a good excuse because didn't uh yeah. didn't she see robbie upset lisa at one point and then neil says sometimes we see things we don't like 
<laughs> know, what a condescending <laughs> jerk, no, by the way. Even yeah. in 19. So she's got an excuse, like, right? To I mean, he talked. Neil is so funny to me, dude. You're talking about <laughs> yeah. uh, Neil Kellerman. He's I think he's like the grandson of of Max, and he's like he talks to everybody like he's a second grade teacher. Yes. You know, like he needs to explain everything very carefully to you in this little droll tone. It's it's a, a neat little character thing, but he's like he's not a bad person. Like if you met him, you'd be like, that's probably Neil's a nice guy. He's kind of a nerd, you know, or kind of a worm. I don't know, but he's not a bad dude. But the way he talks to everyone is he is definitely, you know, got a pinky out with a tea glass and he's above them and that kind of stuff. Definitely. <laughs> I think that his character is completely, like you said, he's the nerdy kid, but he knows that he has leverage because of who his, is it his grandfather? Yeah. Who his yeah. grandfather is. And he totally flaunts that because Otherwise, he knows he'd get his ass kicked, right? <laughs> what, what was that well, yeah. whole line he has about where he says, like, I'm the catch of the county. And yeah. this, I took this girl from this other guy. And she was like, he was like, what does he have that I don't have? And she was he, like, two hotels. Yes. <laughs> and the best part is that he's he's not an attractive person. I mean, I'm sure there's a subset of women who do find Neil attractive. But, like, classically... I'm sure that the guy that he took this girl from by telling her he had two hotels was easily a foot taller than he was. (laughs) (laughs) So more muscle bound. (laughs) Right. Right. So, you know, he's definitely using it. I just love it. The way he brags about having the amount of money that he has cracked me up the whole time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but you see where he gets it from too, because uh, Jack Weston is this performer that I've just seen in a dozen other things. He's always given these really broad comedic performances, and I mean, he, when he introduces himself, he has the best line because he like snaps his fingers and tells somebody to go do something. And he's like, "Girls, if, if your father wasn't for your father, I would be dead standing here today." I mean, you just kind of get the sense of what that kind of person is. But having worked at a university for a number of years that had a hotel and restaurant management degree, that's how those people are. I mean, no offense, but you have to have a certain kind of personality. There's a to be able to panache. constantly, yeah, you constantly sell like mm-hmm. that's that's, and I just kind of got the sense that Max and and Neil was just a chip off the block from that as well, and that's what's so funny contrasted to the Housemans because when when we meet them. You've got Jerry Orbach, who is, I mean, just always kind of is, is Jerry Orbach. Like, again, I'm like, you could be a cop, you could be a dancer, I don't care. See, <laughs> so you could be a mobster, you're just kind of always the same guy. But you get that big, booming, deep voice, and his wife's just sort of, I, I think the first thing we get is, like, Lisa upset about some shoes she didn't bring, <laughs> and she's, like, trying to calm her down and talk her off the ledge, and then Baby's in, you know, having this inner monologue, which famously just goes away, by the way. Like, the, the, I, I thought we'd get, like, you know, voice of future <laughs> Baby later in the movie. Nope, it's in that opening scene something about john f kennedy hadn't died yet and she hadn't joined the peace corps or something and then that was it and so it's you have like four of the most different people in the same family in the same car together and i I don't know i just thought that was a neat establishing scene yeah also um do you guys notice newman from seinfeld is in this yeah like he's got that little bit part and i forgot that and when he when he was what was he doing like he was a valet or something well, he was yeah, a, he's like an entertainment. He was an entertainer, wasn't he? A magician or something at oh, one point, and then he was leading the talent show. And yeah, he's uh, all over in the, in the so film at weird funny. times. Yeah, yeah, he's running around with the megaphone and telling people we've got you know bridge lessons here. That, 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 and yeah. I know it's, it's pre Seinfeld, but it was just a fun little 
fun little nugget. <laughs> like I mean, at least I this is this is like pre Jurassic Park. This yeah. is pre anybody going yep. who this dude was. Which funny enough, when I saw Jurassic Park, my immediate thought was like, "Huh, the dude from Dirty Dancing." Yeah. I just remembered his routine. <laughs> I mean, nice. I remembered that joke that he tells because it's so horribly bad. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, but I mean, that's it's it's neat to establish this because this is a different time. Like, I don't have any relation to this kind of vacation where you go somewhere right. for three weeks. Right? Like, I don't know about y'all, but that was not, like, family vacation where I grew up. No, me neither. But I do know um, some people who will do, like, the two-week family vacation thing to a lake. And it's like they do it every single year. Everybody goes. And that's also not how I grew up. But, you know, it's definitely a thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, I have some family who do the same thing. Um, I don't know that they go to any particular thing like this is, but they do go to a resort usually for a couple of weeks. The whole family, there's nine rooms or whatever, and they all just kind of hang around a place and do activities and whatever. So I, I know a few and, people uh, like that. And the writer tells, Eleanor Bergstein tells that like this was sort of what her life was like growing up in the 1950s. And things that this is just the kind of things you did. And she said the reason people did this is because it was a time before air travel was really, you know, you could get to it. It was accessible and affordable for people to do. So you you took a drive and you went in the mountains for a couple of weeks and then that was it. And I mean, I think they even have a line about like it's the first vacation the doctors had in six years or whatever. And I'm looking at him going like, this dude's like close to retirement. Like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, uh, cause that is the funny thing about this is I, I know it's, I don't even know what his real age was, but Jerry Orbach looks like 63. It, it pretty much like from 1987 to when he died. And so, I mean, that is, he's sort of perpetually been in his fifties or sixties, I think. And for him to have like two, teenage daughters is just kind of mind-blowing for me i'm like maybe maybe you got married late i don't know but it, it there's like a stark difference in the the ages of the children and the parent yeah i didn't think about that i didn't really talked, notice it either to be honest yeah. with you it just I, I, maybe my I, suspension I never, of disbelief was just like <laughs> there like i was fully i was fully invested and i just never in. thought about the age difference no i and but now i'm doing the math in my head and thinking huh Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, like if if you look at it, like the wife looks a lot younger than him, so maybe he married late. I don't know. I'm, I'm making up backstories that don't maybe matter. Maybe he this. aged but quickly. You know, if he's, he's a, a doctor. doctor. Doctor, doctor's yeah. a rough life. I don't know. I, it's also because in my head, I know Patrick Swayze is 35 and Jennifer Grey is 22, and they, they don't ever call <laughs> that out in this movie. And now he doesn't look 35, but he definitely does not look 22. I did not realize 18. he was that old. Yeah, he was much older than her. So wow. that, I mean, I, I have always known that again because I knew him from other movies. So I knew how old he was and they didn't, he didn't play a teenager in this. So it's, it's fine. It's not like they stuck him as a senior in high school or something, but you get a sense that like this guy's not that much older than her, but in reality he is. And, and there's some scenes like he looks like it. I mean, it's just, it's just part of it. Sure. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just know that. So I just start placing that on everybody. <laughs> Could be. Uh, we, we've already talked about the Kellermans. Let's talk a little bit about some of the entertainment staff. Uh, I think it's funny. They come in all cocky and, arrogant when he's laying out to the wait staff yes. about like be good to everybody and they're like hands off and yet they're the people who get criticized the most by the owner like they're the ones who risk their job the most yet here they come walking in like they're king shit and you're just kind of like 
well, obviously you're not king shit because your job is on the line every day. Like, I don't get it. But, yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, we got Johnny, of course, and Penny, who used to date, but not anymore. And uh, that story is They used to date, one. but now they're just friends. Yeah, you know, before he started banging all the wives at the resort, I'm sure. Yes, Which, we got to talk about that yeah. when it comes around. Oh, I gosh. do love, though, like, Johnny and Penny's relationship is... I don't even know how to describe how much I enjoy their relationship. Like, he just, you can tell that they're not romantic anymore, but they are so, so close. And he, Mm -hmm. like, they both care so deeply for each other and just have each other's back. And they're just, like, the best of friends. And I just love that. I get the I get the vibe of brother sister love. There, yeah. Right. Yeah. That he's like the older brother to her, and he takes the best care of her that he can, and you know he has her back, she has his back, that type of thing. That's the vibe I got off of it. Yeah. I, I, Patrick Swayze and Cynthia Rhodes were such good dance partners, and they both talked about it in the year since. And Swayze even like lobbied the producers while they were making this movie, like I should end up with Penny. We're so much like the characters are so much alike. Like, why would we not like it? You know? And so he, you know, they didn't, he didn't get his wish on that, but I could see it too. And yeah, I thought they had a very sweet, caring, deep relationship with each other and that was all established in that first dance scene when they're together yeah that's the only thing that takes the brother sister dynamic out right there (laughs) no not if you've seen Derek and Julianne Huff dance so so, I mean no really but I I watched them you watch them dance and just again I don't know how to dance but knowing a lot of dancers like it takes so much trust to be able to do some of that kind of stuff and you just have to know each other so well it's I don't know it's just really sweet so I'm glad to hear you caught on to it too Lindsay and just to piggyback off of that I guess I think Billy is Johnny's cousin he's the one that lets baby into that party Mm -hmm. the first time he's the guy with the watermelons yeah he's the guy with the watermelons I think I so there weren't a ton of scenes with Billy and baby together but when they were together their chemistry on screen was so adorable because it was kind of like, it almost felt like, you know, they just grew up together and they're besties. And she, I I just loved watching the two of them. Like just those little, what, maybe three scenes and a handful of lines. And for whatever reason, like those just really stuck out to me. Oh, yeah. They were cute together. And I mean, what I think is neat is he ends up dancing with her sister at the end of the yeah. show. Uh, which which is, per- I mean, honestly, I thought like Neil should really be with Lisa. Like they're perfect for each other because <laughs> they're both kind of go- goofy. And, <laughs> right. You know, they try too darn hard. <laughs> well, they try too hard. So and so they'd be perfect together. You get the two tryhards together, but it's kind of neat that you get uh-huh, the two you know, tryhards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but we know Neil like can't can, dance. Nikki right? and and your friend together at the end of this. But I don't think ones. Lisa can either. So that would work. Really no, that's well. true. They could do the the awkward seventh grade dance right together. Yeah, that would work. L- leave they, room for. Jesus. <laughs> yes. I'm going to tell you, with her voice singing, there wasn't no Jesus in there. Oh, my God. Oh, that was, that was bad. <laughs> no offense to that I actress. Forgot. I know that no. she was just trying. When but, she oh, started yikes. to sing, my first reaction was, oh, I forgot how bad that was. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's probably 
purposely bad. Hopefully, well, she yeah. I mean, Lucille Ball normal. could sing really well, but Lucy and I Love Lucy mm-hmm. was a terrible singer. So right. maybe exactly. she's an excellent singer. Sometimes it takes a great singer to play a bad one. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I, I, I could, way true. Bad. Way true. <laughs> I could. I could believe that. Like that, she probably could outsing everybody in the room. But <laughs> you know, what, what, I think it's funny. And I read this in a behind the scenes note that the woman that plays Mrs. Houseman was supposed to play like the cougar girl, <laughs> Vivian. Vivian Pressman. Yeah. They end up because she was like working with Kenny Ortega, who's the dance choreographer in this, and everybody knows from like High School Musical and everything he does now. And but he did all the dance choreography, but she was like his dance partner. And so her and the lady that played Vivian were both his dance partners. And so that's how they got in the movie. But she was so that little bit about I think she gets it from me is kind of an inside joke. Vivian had huge tracts of land. (laughs) (laughs) one way to put it had no regard for her wealth throwing that fur on the ground like that That, i'm like come on hey that's just the life she lives she's gangster right yeah so (laughs) i do do think it's funny though that you talk about how they're they're introduced brian and that is one of the best scenes because baby's just kind of walking around bored and she sees max giving all the waiters like you got to be nice to all the daughters even the dogs even the the dogs dogs. (laughs) i wouldn't hired you all from harvard and yale because you could smooze the world and then here comes the entertainment staff and he's like now listen you teach them this and that and nothing else and you keep your hands off you know it's this whole like like uh, the waiters can go ahead thing yeah well we got the whole greasers and socius thing going on up here on Catskill Mountain. I mean, come on. Well, the waiters are have free reign. They can they can bone all the daughters they want, but the entertainment staff better keep their mitts off of them, right? Yeah. Uh, setting up the dynamic of the rich people getting the waiter job and the the slum people getting the the entertainment job because I guess that's well, how it I mean, works. That- but I mean, that's one of the things that makes this movie last for all these years. I mean, we're talking about it, you know, 33 years later, right? And I mean, the, one of the things that makes it last is not only that it's a sweet story and all this kind of stuff, but I in mean, it, there's a lot of like social economic class mm-hmm. stuff going on in this. It's not a dumb script. I mean, when she wrote this, it was smart. And I think that's what gives this movie staying power is that you're watching a, the, the 60s generation of the people that started to break down that kind of stuff and really wanted to rebel against those barriers and things like that, especially when they were coming up as young people. And when I mean, you go back and you, you study that cultural change in America, you see where it comes from. And it comes from reacting against this kind of thought and stuff. I mean, how can you typecast Robbie anymore? He pulls out a copy of frickin' The Fountainhead <laughs> on somebody. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about this guy right While there. While like, baby okay. is helping him wait tables, like pour yeah. water. I know, right? I'm like, and he gives he, her shit I'm, for it. What did he say to her? <laughs> she like did something and he was like, um, a little more care, please. Yeah, like a little <laughs> more consistency Thanks in the for doing glasses. my job, but also you suck at it. <laughs> yeah, which, if you've read The Fountainhead, sums up part of the characters in it. So. Um, uh, but really, I mean, like, that that tells, I mean, I love his whole bit about, like, make sure I get that back. I've got notes in the margins. I'm like, you oh living God. your life by that book? Right. I mean, of all the things to pick. <laughs> it's a, yeah. The, the, I think the dynamic between the, the different staffs is, is kind of fun in this movie. And, of course, you've got... Uh, the, the, I just get a kick out of the fact that uh, Max Kellerman, the, the owner, uh, will be all against everything that they do, um, and even Neil to a point where he wants them to do what was it the pachanga or whatever dance at the <laughs> end. I don't know what that is. I don't so. either, but yeah. I just think that's hilarious. And then once they get the final dance going, he shows up and, and starts doing it, and it, everyone gets into it, and then all of a sudden, oh, it's that's cool. 
<laughs> no big no, deal. Yeah, he's telling his band leader, like, can you get sheet music on this stuff? And I'm like, not for about 27 years, actually. Because okay. <laughs> so, this is 1963, and that's a synthesizer <laughs> that hasn't been invented yet. So Come let on, me be Jay. music nerd and go, why? So, right, at least they kept the 45s going there, right? I mean, they, they, Yeah, and then they come back with a song like This Overload. <laughs> so, and she's like the wind, which is definitely not something written in the 60s. But, you know, whatever. So, I, mean, I do think we have to talk about the music in this movie because it's almost its own character. Oh, well, yeah. It, the music is what uh, set this movie off, I would say, with the controversy, too, over the dancing. And then people yeah. went and saw it, really liked it. The music, without that music, though, I'm not sure this is as good a movie as we want to say it is. Uh, this soundtrack is one of the greatest soundtracks that has ever been put together. It's just, it's so good. And, and that even includes the fact that Patrick Swayze sings a song or two. Yeah. That's crazy to me. So for me, when I first started, so it's been a while since I've watched this movie. So I watched it for the first time in years, a few days ago. But the opening scene and the dichotomy, I don't know if you guys remember this uh, from whenever it was you watched it, but the dichotomy of just like these young kids you know hipsters grinding on each other and then the music <laughs> in the background is the ronettes be my baby <laughs> and i was like that's perfection i cannot i can't sum this movie up in any other way and it's right there in the opening Oh, I think, too, because, again, the social politics that this movie's talking about and has layered throughout it, that these people are having the underground dance. And what do they listen to? They're listening to soul music and R&B music. Yeah. But when they're out in the, you know, with the public or with the people, right, they're listening to, you know, mariachi bands and traditional things, right? But, the, but what they really like is, you know, the stuff they listen to underground. And I think even Billy has, I caught the line this time, and the baby's like, where do you learn how to do that? And he's like, I don't know, back home in your parents' basement when they're not watching? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I guess that, that's how, that's how people, you know, that's how all my friends learned how to dance and do anything else was when nobody was looking, you know, and that was in the eighties and nineties. So yeah, I could, I could totally believe it. Uh, that opening scene, it says everything you need to know because it's black and white. And like you see, you've got the Ronette song and you've got that woman with her skirt hiked up yep. her leg halfway up that guy's shoulder. And it's like, well, we know exactly what kind of movie we're going to be in now. And then they <laughs> end with the same shot. Yeah. So, Brings yeah. it all around. Right. And that's Good way to do it, but uh, and I, I know I've banged on the, the fact that like they laced a lot of 80s music into the 60s period piece or whatever, which but I'll tell you now, the, the two songs to me that just last beyond the test of time are the, the end song I've had the time of my life, which is just this soaring thing and it's what it's supposed to be. But Hungry Eyes totally works, oh, I mean, that's that a sexy so ass good. song. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it and it's and it's not set in a scene where they're actually having sex with each other, they're dancing and they're learning how to move together and all of that kind of stuff. But that, that Eric Carmen song is, is so perfect for that. That's a great song. And I, I mean, you talk, just think about all the songs on here that really make this, that that's one that was a huge hit. Obviously I had the time of my life was a huge hit. Um, people know when they hear those songs, what movie those come from, which I think is really cool. Cause you can have great soundtracks and people will forget what movie they were on. Right. Um, power of love, you know, most people will say it's back to the future, but not everybody remembers it from that. Right. So, yeah. but this one, you say, I've had the time of my life. Everybody knows it's from this movie. Everybody knows the scene 
that it's yeah. doing it. And even their commercials now where they're making fun of, are using that scene <laughs> as part of the commercial. And so, She came in a little hot. so i mean just it's great it's i mean i love the soundtrack to this and they even they have two soundtracks for this i think they have this one and more dirty dancing came out afterwards with more of the songs that were used in here and it's just it's fantastic let's talk about robbie (laughs) because i I think we did we gotta talk a little bit more about robbie right i mean robbie is like the playboy douchebag a big douchebag he's the playboy there biggest Mm-hmm. He's getting laid with all the pe- everyone. He's he's screwing everyone, right? Uh, gets Penny pregnant, and his response when baby confronts him is, "Some people count." Yeah. Ouch. I mean, wh- I mean, talk about like a just a statement that tells you what the theme of this movie is about is. Uh, a generation of people hearing that and going, screw that, and screw you for saying it. Mm-hmm. Not literally, though, because Robbie is banging everything. Well, in. literally yeah. screwing him for saying but, anyway. But I mean, really, though, I mean, really, like, he is almost a caricature two-dimensional bad guy. Like, all all you needed to do was just flash him forward about 20 years, and he's like the drug dealer in the movie. Or, <laughs> you know, he, he could have been like the... Or the same character, honestly. Yeah. Like, flash yeah, forward I mean, 20 years. Guy. He could literally play this character 20 years after this movie was made, and it would still, it would still hold. Um, I think... So, yeah, I mean, two-dimensional, maybe, but he plays it real well. No, he does. I mean, like, you, you're right. Like, you could put this guy in Wall Street as one of Bud yeah. Fox's greasy friends and totally buy it, right? And it's really sad to say this. Like, the, the actor, Max Cantor, died from an overdose because he was he was an investigative journalist, and he did all this journalism work on heroin addicts and got hooked on heroin. Oof. And, I mean, it's really kind of tragic and sad, but it's... I don't know. It's it's weird to watch somebody give this again douchebag performance, and then to learn like in their life they were actually also a huge douchebag. You know? And it's just I'm not saying that like all addicts are, but like he became one because he thought he needed to do that to investigate it, which is the dumbest thing anybody's ever yes. said and done. And so I, it's just anyway, it's it, it's 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 kind of ghoulish almost to watch this guy do this and realize like he's probably just playing himself. And I, I believe that because everybody else in the cast that talks about this movie said they were just kind of playing themselves. And I, so I'm like, well, okay, then he was just playing himself. Ouch. Mm. Yeah. Not a, not a fun thing to say, but let's talk about one of my favorite parts of the movie. And that's the fight between Robbie and Johnny uh, where yeah. Johnny just totally wallops the shit out of him. And then <laughs> after beating him senseless says, go, you're, you're not, not worth it. it. Uh, well, you, you you got it. You did it. So uh, obviously he was. <laughs> you just didn't want to bloody him anymore. I don't, I don't know, but I I love that scene. It's just hilarious. He's beating the shit out of him, and then says, "You're not worth it. Get out of here." <laughs> You're like, well, you, you notice you what triggers? Like he's talking all oh, this yeah. trash. The thing that gets it is when he says, "Don't worry, baby. I went slumming too." Yep. And it's like he just insulted her and Johnny at the same time, and that was like Johnny's like break point. Oh, I right. thought it was. Didn't he say something like, "Looks like I went after the wrong sister"? Well, that too. Yeah, he said that one too. Yeah. He said yeah. that too, but then said, "Yeah, I went slumming as well," referring obviously to Penny. Um, but yeah, what a what a <laughs> yeah. And then the fact that you know he's trying to get on uh, Lisa. The whole time as well, and yeah, 
I want to go back to that fight for a second mm-hmm. though, because the thing I've always appreciated about that fight because it looked like a real fight between people. Like that, like you know, fights in movies are always like so fake and things. And I recently saw a movie called Ford versus Ferrari, and Matt Damon <gasps> and Christian Bale have a fight in that. That was so that good. Is very like they both talk about like this is what real old men would fight like. It was like eventually <laughs> you just get too tired and you stop, but it's really dirty and you're pulling clothes and stuff. And I love how like they're scrapping on the ground and slapping each other and throwing stuff at each other, and he finally just kicks him in the butt and stuff. Well, I was like, you know that that looked like a real fight. I, I give those guys credit for putting that together. Well, and this it wasn't. Like sound effect wise, over yeah. the top either, which right. you know that can ruin it. Kind yeah. of refreshing. <laughs> yeah, no. I, yeah, I mean, if you, after coming off of you know years of Marvel movies yeah, and stuff, to that's see exactly like what that, I was saying. I literally had yeah. those bam pow things like floating around in my head as I was saying that. <laughs> Someone yeah. cracking that. Just watch two guys. Really, to watch one yep. guy whip the hell out of another guy that he's pissed at, <laughs> you know, is it was it, was very, it reminded me of high school. And not that I was doing it, but I saw a lot of people do that. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see here. Um, let's talk about the dynamic of, of the father, right? I, did they establish that he was a doctor beforehand? Because I don't remember if it was established or we learned about it when she went to get him. He, o- opening scene. Opening yeah. scene. Opening okay. scene. I when, totally when he introduces the, the family to Max, Max says, oh, your father saved me. Got it. Okay. Is he a cardiologist? Does it talk about what kind of doctor he is? It didn't say. I don't. I don't know. I do remember like when baby's helping Billy get the luggage out of the bag. Like she pulls the old classic black Quincy doctor's bag out. Mm -hmm. So I. I don't know. I don't know if he's a general practitioner or or what. But yeah, they never really established. But you get the sense that he's pretty successful, and you know he saved this man's life. And he's also he plays it off like a lot of doctors do. Like oh, you know, no no big deal. Like he just kind of you know downplays it. So you get the sense that he's this really intelligent and really good guy. And but he's he's not full of himself, unlike a lot of the other people in this movie, which makes him really stand out. Because while he's not completely a perfect man, Jake Houseman is is a good man, and we never see him do anything that we don't have some understanding of why he would react that way based on the information he's got. And we get to see him have a big arc too. I mean, he's the one that really goes like, Hey, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing for somebody in his, his generation to admit and to see that on screen was like a big deal. Well, and there's a line too. I mean, obviously baby and Lisa both adore him and are mm-hmm. like, Lisa is a wannabe daddy's girl. She knows she's not the favorite. Um, and baby has clearly, you know, has him wrapped around her little finger, kind of. But in the beginning, when she has that internal monologue going, she says that she'll, when she thought that she'd never find a man as good as her daddy or something like that. I don't remember the yeah. exact line. But, I mean, they clearly think the world of him. And he is clearly a, a good guy. Um, but... Yeah, his. I think I think more evidence that he's a good guy is that after he's been brought in to to work to help Penny and things like that, when they go and see her later, and she says, "I'm doing a lot better." Your dad came by to check Correct. on you. Yeah, like he's on his he's on his vacation, and he's like, "You know, I'll just go check on that girl again." Like, I mean, after he's done that whole like, "You're not to see those people again." I want you to do that. He still has like some ethics to him, which Correct. is yeah. that's you a great see point. that and yeah. and you see that roll out in her too. That she also that's where those come from. I mean, when they have that great confrontation on the pier, that's one of the best scenes. I mean, he doesn't say a word and Jerry Orbach just acts his ass off through yeah. his face. Like you can tell he's so hurt and he's so disappointed. But on the other hand, he's so damn proud because she's exactly what you know he wanted her to be. It's just killing him that he's having to you see it like this. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he's he's 
disappointed not only in the situation but also disappointed in how he's reacted uh, to be mm-hmm. honest i think he has you know feelings of that but um i i just think it's awesome uh, you mentioned it jay the the, po- the point is that he uh as a doctor he does what he's supposed to do regardless of who the person he's treating is and even though he thinks less of the group he still goes and takes care of his patient and i thought that was really cool to see in this movie and i that that stood out to me uh, uh, for his character and then of course as you said he grows as a character and in the end after you know he obviously told uh johnny that he felt that he knocked up penny and then left her high and dry right and when he finds out the truth i think it's really a cool arc but i think had uh, mom not intervened, maybe he might not have gotten there on his own right away. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's great that Marge's one big scene is to go sit down, Jake. You know, and yeah. just puts her hand on his arm and he listens. Yeah, like it isn't isn't fighter. It's to look. That's because like, mom oh, is the boss. That's because mama is serious and she, she knows says that voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she knows. And and I think it's it's a great contrast too to go back to Robbie. He's a, you know an aspiring medical student and all this kind of stuff, right? And look at his ethics versus like a real doctor mm-hmm. and a real man versus this guy that carries himself like this man, but he's really he's really just a scumbag. Correct. You know, I mean, even com- compare Robbie to somebody like Neil. Neil's a good dude. I mean, he's he's a he's a privileged dude, you know, douche sometimes and kind of a dork, but he's not a bad guy. You know, Robbie's just a jerk yeah. and and a you know he's the person of evil, poor guy, got it all put on him in this movie. And then you got Jerry Orbach, who's like, see, I think he looks at him, he's like, oh, the son I never had. And then he learns, like, oh, wouldn't touch you with a ten foot pole, kid. You know, at the end of it, all of he just like jerks that check back out of his hand at the end, like, excuse me, I'm going to put that back in my pocket. Now. Exactly. Yeah, so. I I agree. Um, Scholarship revoked. <laughs> yes. Here's some money for you to go to college. Oh wait, what? Oh, you're the guy who got her knocked up and let her be. Oh, screw you. <laughs> Back was that body. money that he was handing him? I thought I it was like so. a reference letter. Oh, oh, I thought, I thought I it was t- money. I always took it as money. Yeah. I always took it as like, here's a little something to help you when you get back to school. And I always, I always thought it was money. Yeah. Money would make more sense. Said. I just assumed yeah. it was a reference letter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was too. I don't know. Maybe it was both. <laughs> could have been. Yeah, it could have been both. It was a big it's enough like, envelope. Nope, pulling that back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it was a huge, huge envelope. So uh, but we did, we need to talk about Penny too. We've kind of danced around her, the pun intended there for a bit. Well, we really need to talk about her as a character. Well, I mean, for, for me, what I really liked about Penny is the struggle. Now, you mentioned earlier that um, Baby went to dad for money for an abortion. I really don't think Baby knew that's what the money was going for. Oh, I do. Uh, I don't I think mean, she, she knew she was pregnant. I, right, but I don't think she knew that she was going to have an abortion. I think she was going to see a doctor to help. So um, I think she did know that it was an abortion, and I because when her dad asked, "It's not anything illegal, is it?" Baby hesitated and said, "No." So she knew that okay. it was illegal, which it was at the time, because this is pre Roe v. Wade when right. this movie took place, but. She so there was that slight hesitation is what makes me think that she did know exactly what the money was going to go for. And I think Billy lays it out to her too. He's like, "I know this doctor. He's going to be in town for a day. I can get her an appointment." And I'm listening to him say this. I'm like, "Billy, if you would just listen to yourself, you would realize this is a bad idea. Somebody who's rolling yeah, to town for a day—that is not the kind of you thing." You got to remember that at the time that was common. 
Uh, I guess that so. was all I, they yeah. had. It was backstreet yeah. type stuff. You didn't have yeah. legit doctors performing this kind of operation. So yeah. it's not like it is today. <laughs> it was a much more dangerous thing, and you had to find someone willing to do that and take a risk. Yeah. Uh, you know, you risked your own life and all that. What What I like about Penny is that. Yeah, along with the chemistry she's got with Johnny and everything, is I love how when Baby finds her crying in the kitchen, which of all places to hide, by the way. But anyway, it's like plot convenience number four, but okay. So we go with it. And when Johnny comes back and he, he hauls her out of there, I'm going to go and have to you and all this kind of stuff, which Patrick Swayze's accents go from like Southern Tennessee to New York, which <laughs> yes. is hilarious in this movie. I mean, you notice that too? Yes. Thank you. Yes. I'll yes. Just be the only one. So like they go all over the place. It's really funny. But, um, cause you can tell when he's trying to be like from the Bronx and you know, whatever uh, or not or whatever. But anyway, so they're having this conversation. She's sitting on the, you know, the couch or whatever. She's got that drink in her hand as her makeup's just run down her face. And I love how when uh, baby's trying to you know console her and be so idealistic and stuff and she just tells her like you don't know shit about my problems why don't you go back to your playpen baby and just the way she <laughs> says that is like damn that woman will cut you you need to walk out of the room like she has had enough but I but I appreciate later that like she she she's hurt and she's you know scared to death or whatever and then as you know she's pinning her up in the dress later for the performance or whatever I love how she really talks to her about how like nobody would ever do anything like that for me you know, like the, nobody's ever, and she, I think she has some line early with babies where she's complimenting her dancing and she talks about how she was, you know, she's been out on her own since she was 16, you know, so she's kind of a hustler in her own way. And that's how she's gotten where she is. And you can tell it's, it's done a number on her. And I like that just that small character had this, that, that big arc in this movie. Well, I think the thing is with, with her is that she trusts nobody unless she's given a reason to trust you. Right. And except Johnny, well, no, she trusts her people, all the people with her. She trusts cause they're her, they're her yeah. people, but an outsider's in here in, in baby and she's not going to trust her worth anything. And especially since she's comes from a rich daddy and gets anything she wants. Right. So it, it's right. that dynamic. And then once baby comes in and gives her the money for the, the procedure, she knows she can trust her now. And that's when everything fades from, I hate your guts to, okay, we can be friends. So I love, I like the, arc of Penny and Baby together and how she has Penny has such a chip on her shoulder to begin with which is understandable because you grow up you know in kind of a rough arena um, and then to have to work with people who have grown up with a silver spoon in their mouths is immensely frustrating and so of course she would have a chip on her shoulder but I think the other thing is that it's hard for her to imagine anyone from baby's background ever being envious of her for any reason and so when baby comes up to her too and says well I'm envious she's like you know you're an idiot and a child and you don't know what you're talking about and so it's really I liked watching her soften to baby from being so rough around the edges with her in the very beginning. And it happened really fast. I mean, I know like she was given a reason to trust her and that obviously helped speed things up, but sometimes, sometimes things happen quickly. I don't think that even, um, you know, I don't think that's out of the question, but I did like watching that softening 
Well, you got to remember, too, that Baby does a huge favor for her, not just with the money, but stepping in to learn the dance and perform it so that she doesn't lose her other job, right? So, I mean, that will melt barriers pretty quickly. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's neat that the same plot device used to kind of melt the ice with Penny also does with Johnny because he kind of makes fun of her at first. Like, yeah, it takes a real state to go ask daddy, you know, or whatever. And then when Penny finds out that, like, that's what she did, she's like, that's really bold. It was really brave. Yeah. Yeah. And, but Johnny talks about later on throughout the movie, like, what you did for us, like, nobody, like, you would ever do that for somebody like us. Again, that whole class system thing, like, nobody ever consort, like, you consort with us, but nobody ever really cares about us. And you genuinely did, and that takes a lot of guts. And the whole time, maybe sitting there going, like, I am scared out of my mind as to what is about to happen to me, you know, socially, emotionally, and everything else. And you're sitting here calling me brave. It's that It makes the whole dynamic between them work. And that's why I think it's neat when Penny finds out Johnny and Baby have kind of gotten together that she tells him like you've got to break this off like you can't you can't do this and it's not out of some jealous lover thing it's from that again that sister thing like bud you can't do this this is going to go bad we've talked about this you know and i don't know i just thought those those moments were really sweet yeah i would agree okay well let's move on to to the dancing in this movie obviously that's a huge part of this movie and we we get it at the beginning of the movie we're introduced to really the dance team we see it all throughout here with baby coming up and seeing the big dance party they're having to learning the how to really dance i don't know if she ever danced before this but she's taking it on and learning how to dance uh and then the end sequence is a big massive dance as well so obviously with the title we know the dance is a huge part so let's talk about uh those dance sequences that we have in here jay do you want to start well, I mean, I, I, again, as somebody who can't dance at all, but always in, appreciates good, fun dancing in a movie and on a show and things like that. I, I thought it was neat to show the evolution of somebody learning how to do this and that it's not about counting and all of that. That's part of it. Yes. And, you know, they, they go through all that, but. Johnny's oh, this whole bit about the good go, good go, go, you got to hear the heart, which is so cheesy. To watch it like that. But, but he's not wrong. It's like, you just have to kind of feel it. And as somebody who plays music and I can't read music at all. I mean, I can kind of follow that going up and down the note bar, like what that means, but I don't know what any of that is. I can't read any of that. I learned how to play by feel. And as somebody who's a bass player for a long time, like I learned how to play that by playing with a drummer who liked to invent really fun rhythms to see if I could catch him, you know? So he is learning about just kind of how to feel it. And I don't know. I just, I thought that was so neat to watch Jennifer Gray have to do that live in front of us. Because again, the story is she didn't know how to do any of it and they figured she could learn it because you know, her background and her father is and all this kind of stuff. And Patrick Swayze apparently is an incredible dance teacher. Absolutely. He, yeah, he taught her how to do most of that stuff. In like a week. Cynthia Rhodes. I mean, it was yeah, days. And she went yeah. from zero to 100 in days, which, which, is which makes crazy. you wonder what yeah. her parents thought she was doing this whole time. Because you know she was doing yeah. it at least eight hours a day. Like, yeah. had to. I mean, maybe, maybe she told him she was taking dance lessons. I mean, I mean, she, I, I mean yeah, that was true. part of the entertainment, yeah. you know. She, I mean, and let's be fair too. Like, she might have been working on it eight hours a day. Johnny maybe had like an hour. 
or two here and there to work with it because he makes this point about like he's got to go and teach this yeah. class and he's got to go and do so he between him and Penny and I think that's why it's so neat to watch her she's trying to do those little she's holding her frame and she's dancing across that little bridge and she gets mad and kicks it and you know has a little fit <laughs> yeah. and all that which which I thought I mean I think that was a real moment too and they just kept it in there it was great but I I love watching that because he wouldn't he would only have so much time to show her she was going to have to do this on her own and I think that's the whole point of part of the subtext of this movie is that you can ask for help from all of these people and you can get knowledge and information but ultimately if you're going to learn how to do anything and master you're going to have to learn how to do it yourself and she really teaches her she halfway teaches herself how to do some of this stuff oh she absolutely does I mean she you that whole scene where she's on the pier or the mm-hmm. whatever you want to call the it little bridge where yeah, yep, where she's thing. practicing all of her moves she, she definitely had to take a lot of time to learn them herself and that I think was what that scene was establishing and uh you know it was it was pretty cool little storyline and to take someone who I don't I don't think it's possible for someone to learn all that in a what, matter of two or three days or whatever she had to do it but it was kind of cool to, to watch them try and and get it and then of course when the performance actually comes she will not do the the uh, the lift <laughs> well I think she just chickens oh, out absolutely on it. she and does because yeah. she's falling over most imagine. of the time in the water when practicing so she doesn't want to do that yeah. and land on her face so I mean which I can't imagine doing that anyway at, at all or, or letting, I don't know. I, I, that just, that whole move has always just mystified me as to how do you pull that off on any level? Like that is it's upper an arm strength. Move. Well, balance and yeah. everything, especially for the person being lifted, like to hold that, that dove pose or whatever she's got going. I'm like that. T- you have to have incredible core strength to be able to pull that off. Like, and, and you got to really trust the person, you know, holding you up. And Patrick Swayze's a buff dude, but he is not a big dude. It's not like Arnold Schwarzenegger was throwing her. Yeah, but she's also probably like a buck five. Maybe. I mean, true. M- true. Yeah, like on, on a good day soaking wet. So, yeah. you know, he could probably curl that. Eighteen times. Curl it. I'm about to specific eighteen times. I think the water sequence, like did they did that was actually how they learned how to do it anyway. And they just kept it. They thought that would be good to put in the movie. And both of them talk about how it's really hard to act and act like you're having fun when you're freezing. Cause it was like 40 oh, degrees God, yeah. or something. And they, this, I, I think Jennifer Gray's line was once it was nipple exploding cold. Oh God. And this is what she called it. She's like, it was so cold. And she said, and Patrick's out there without a shirt and I have no idea how he's not dead, you know, from that. And they're both just, anyway, it's, it's funny to watch, but, uh, Everything's retreated. Yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all just frozen. So. But it, it pays off in like the best moment because they, they have that whole uh, moment in, in the, at the dance sequence when they can't do the lift, but everything else goes fine. Oh, you did good. You did good. And then at the end, of course, he gives her that look and she's like, yeah, we're going to do the move now, right? And it's, you know, it's coming. But, and like, the, I, I remember thinking to myself, that watching the applause on the screen or whatever, the, like that, that might've been the actual cast reaction <laughs> to that. Like, Oh, they finally got it. <laughs> it could be, it could be. I love the, um, I love kind of the montage of scenes of just the feet. So like her yeah. kids and whatever kind of shoes, uh, Patrick Swayze was wearing. And so I don't know. And I don't know if those were their actual feet. I hope that was, but I didn't, I I, I didn't actually look into it, but I just, 
I love how like their personas were just emitted through those feet in that moment. And I just thought that was neat. And also watching her trip over her own feet kind of reminded me of myself. So I was like, yeah, I get that. I've been there. <laughs> I think it's neat too. Cause I'd seen that opening sequence of footloose. If you've ever seen that, the mm-hmm. 1983 one is nothing but people's feet. And like, it's people of all walks of life and you just see the feet doing things and you just know things about people by those shoes, mm-hmm. you know? And that's such a cool call out that you're exactly right. She's still this kid and he is in these you know professional black dancing shoes and she's just stepping on him with her tennis shoes. And her little mini feet. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, now that you called bad. that out, like her size and stuff, I'm like, man, her feet really were tiny. She is a tiny. She must be she's a really tiny. tiny yeah, she's tiny. The end scene. Can we? So when everyone comes in and they're behind uh, Johnny and he's like, you know, he's stepped down and he's done his whole like shoulder shake, you know, crouch Kevin down Bacon thing. Yeah, Kevin Bacon thing. Yeah, Kevin Bacon thing. And then the whole group, like all of his dancers come behind him like, yeah, we've been practicing for this flash mob right? scene. And, <laughs> and like they are ready for it. And I was like, wow, this reminds me of Crybaby. <laughs> that was my first thought. Good, good call. I've got to think, though, I, to be honest, i got to think that, that he's going through a standard routine here. Like, yeah. So they yeah. probably did practice it at some point, and so they knew what was going on, uh, and so they just joined in. But I think me, it is kind of Let me give you all a different one on that. Let me give you a different read on it. Maybe that's what they did on their own time, and this is the first – I mean, like, they have that whole conversation about, like, oh, I think we should do this, and – and even Max is starting to react to this more modern music, which it's like 27 years in the future, but whatever, enough of that. But I mean, really, like they're they're doing what they do behind closed doors yes. now out of doors. And what's funny is when they get like the, the old people involved. You're like, okay, now you come and do it with me. And everybody just automatically can do it. That's, it's one of the funniest things about this movie is that magically, by the, the power of love and this awesome song, everybody can dance <laughs> in this room. <laughs> it's amazing. It is amazing. Of course, Neil and uh, Lisa can't dance, though. No, but they're trying. And they're having a good time trying hard <laughs> together, as I'm and saying. And really, so. isn't that the point? Exactly. Right. Everyone should just try to dance. And Patrick Swayze will tell you you suck and teach you. They just need to feel it in their heart. Pum, pum. You just got to feel it, pum, pum. but it's on the two, Brian. It's not on the one. So. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, I, I think we've talked enough about Dirty Dancing here, guys. So it's that point where we're going to give our popcorn ratings and recommendations on this. So, Jay, why don't you start us off? What is your popcorn rating and recommendation for Dirty Dancing? Oh man, I you know this movie is just fun. It it hits a sweet spot for me again because it it's been a part of my life for, you know, two thirds of it at this point. And I do think it's worth revisiting because even for all of its smulchiness and cheesiness, and we've called out a lot of that, there's a there's a neat story underneath here, and there are real believable characters who have real emotions and do some very real things in it. So I think it's fun and definitely worth revisiting. I know they tried to do like a TV live action version of it a couple of years ago. That was disastrous. You should avoid that at all costs. <laughs> um, sorry, but that, I, that was awful. And I haven't seen Havana Nights, so I'll take Lindsay's word on that one. But for this, just as it is, I think this movie still works. I think the music totally works. Again, I call out this two songs, Hungry Eyes, and I've had the time of my life for great you know, songs. I I can imagine they're popular choices at many weddings these days. And so, you know, and there's a reason for that. And this one is, is one of those things that if everything in the 80s is now coming back and you're going to have some nostalgia for it, you should go back and look at this one if you haven't in a while, because I think for all of us here, it had been at least a decade 
since we watched it. And this is one that's definitely fun to go back and watch and at least just have a good time with. And if you want to have a little deeper time with it, it's there too. So I'm going to give it a large popcorn and I, I think it's worth watching. All right, Lindsay. I've never got, I've never given a popcorn rating before. So this is my first one guys. <laughs> no, I, this movie still, um, is still so relevant, especially considering how long ago, what, 33 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. But my math is right, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's still so relevant and still so enjoyable. And I, like going back and watching it after it being so long, Jay, to your point, there were so many little pieces that I'd completely forgotten about or just didn't notice the first time because I was 10 years younger than I am now and they just didn't resonate with me. So I would 100% recommend going back and rewatching it and experience, experiencing it again um, if it's been a while and just taking it all in. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with a large popcorn. And also, yeah, as you know, if you if you enjoy the dirty dancing, take a dive into Havana Nights and see what you think of that. Totally different plot line, but still a lot of fun dancing. All right. Well, I'm going to join both of you on the large popcorn on this one. What? Like I said, it's been well over a decade. I'd say 15 years at least since I've watched this myself. But I really enjoyed the movie. And I really enjoyed watching it. And I echo all your sentiments. I think there's a lot of stuff here to watch. And into this today, even in today's day and age, you can relate to it and especially now that we're older i think we can relate to it a lot more than we could when we were in our teens and and younger right so i think it's well relevant and well worth going and watching so large popcorn for me as well all right well thank you for joining us as we take a look back at dirty dancing you can find our archives in your podcast feed on apple google spotify or anywhere else Find uh, all the different places to find us on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. Please leave a positive review wherever you find the show. Follow the show on Twitter at filmstrippod or search Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook to connect with us there. We appreciate it if you would share the show and we appreciate your support. For Lindsay and Jay, I'm Brian. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.